welcome to the GoTo Podcast. Each episode covers the brightest and boldest ideas from the world's leading experts in software development. Tune in for practical lessons, compelling theories, and plenty of inspiration. GoTo gathers the brightest minds in the software community to help developers tackle projects today, plan for tomorrow, and create a better future. Stay up to date with the latest in tech through GoTo's top-rated events held online and in-person in cities like Amsterdam, London, Copenhagen, and Chicago, and by subscribing to the GoTo Conference's YouTube channel, where you can find thousands more high-quality dev talks. Learn more at gotopia.tech. Hello and welcome to GoTo Unscripted. This time it's me, James Lewis, uh, being the interviewer. Uh, I'm joined today by two people who are talking tomorrow in GoTo Aarhus about high-performance compute and quantum computing. So, uh, Steve and Soren, would it be possible for you to introduce yourselves to our audience? Yeah, sure. My name is uh, Steve and uh, I'm a PhD in uh, quantum computers and currently working a lot with quantum computers, computers trying to make them do some interesting stuff. Yes, my name is Søren. I have a PhD in quantum physics as well. I have been working with professional software development for 10 years, about. Uh, and uh, I'm now working as a software architect at, at Quantify and try to bring quantum computers to real customers. So, uh, welcome. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time zone you're in. Uh, and I guess we'll get straight on with it. So, um, so, I worked for a company called ThoughtWorks many years ago, well, five years ago, 2018. We had Q Sharp featured on our thing called the Radar. It's a publication uh, we publish every six months. Q Sharp, but we haven't had anything about quantum computing since. It was sort of a super exciting uh, thing that was we were really excited about, starting to, to sort of, um, I guess, take off back then. So, would you mind just going back to like 2018 and around that sort of time and talking a bit about where we are now with quantum computing? Yeah, sure. So 2018 was about the time I started my PhD in yeah. quantum computing. And back then it was just some sort of fluffy area where it was fun because quantum computing is, is fun. Mm. Uh, but, but it wasn't anything serious. Mm. But then doing my PhD, hardware providers started to actually make these quantum computers bigger and bigger. Mm. And suddenly they became big enough to actually do something on it, to calculate small molecules. Mm. And that was never seen before. And then suddenly small companies started to pub up, actually doing quantum mm -hmm. computing stuff. And in the last couple of years, now you can access quantum computers doing uh, using cloud software. And what sort of problems, I mean, you'll be talking about this tomorrow, what sort of problems are you, are you talking about solving? Yeah, so, so the, the biggest problem for uh, quantum computing is probably uh, chemistry. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, drug design, drug discovery, and, and mm -hmm. the making of batteries, because uh, chemistry is inherently quantum mechanical. So it fits perfectly in a quantum computer. Mm. Um, but other topic could be uh, finance, which is also quite suitable for quantum computers, or logistics. Mm. Okay, right. So um, these are all things that you're actively involved in looking at at the moment, is it? Yeah. 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 So we see some applications are more uh, more uh, likely to be possible in the near term. For example, chemistry. Mm. Uh, applications within finance is probably a bit further off, but we do ha have activities in all these areas where we just employ more traditional high-performance computing techniques. And so what does that mean? So high-performance computing, the cloud, quantum computers, like un unpack this for me because I'm kind of intrigued as to how this works. Do you have your own quantum computer and then you like plug it into the cloud somehow? I mean, I don't know, how, how does, how does this, all this work? No, so we're a, we're a software company, so mm -hmm. we don't do any hardware. 
we just access everything through the cloud. Mm -hmm. And the quantum computers are also part of the cloud, and they probably will be uh, for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And then we just access the hardware through the cloud. Right now, we're using uh, the, the classical hardware, the normal high-performance computing. Mm. And then once the quantum computers are ready, we know how to use them because we're also doing that. And then we're ready to plug that in once they become good enough. So you're kind of simulating quantum computers and not simulating them, but you're using... Well, when you say HPC, do you mean like big graphics cards and this kind of thing? What, what's the... Whatever compute resource is most reasonable. Mm. So. There are a couple of different ways to uh, assess risk in finance, for mm -hmm. example, different ways to optimize your exposure to risk. Mm -hmm. And you can use quantum computers to solve some of these risk models, but you can also just maybe spin up a thousand computers and do heavy calculations for mm -hmm. a, a short while mm -hmm. uh, and get a result. So, mm -hmm. so either use either graphics cards or just a lot of CPUs, mm -hmm. depending on the algorithms you want to run. One or the other might be more beneficial. And it, it actually very much in line with, well, right now maybe a problem is beneficial to run on the CPU, uh, and in some years it might be good to do on a quantum computer, mm -hmm. or maybe a new algorithm pops up and we need to do it on the GPU. We are agnostic towards that, uh, and the products we deliver are going to be agnostics towards mm -hmm. that. Right, and it's a product company you work for, it's, yeah. it's not bespoke solutions you're, you're building? Or? It is bespoke it's, solution, yeah. usually, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's, not, it's not a generic, hey, I can solve all your chemistry no, problems. No, <laughs> not at all. That <laughs> no, but we want to be able to be able to solve a range of chemistry problems mm. at some point and sell it as a generic solution, right? Not for mm. a specific company. Mm. Oh, super cool. <laughs> and so, I mean, I know a little bit about HPC, not a huge amount, I have to admit. I know a little bit about quantum mechanics, not a huge amount, I have to admit. I will full disclaimer, I have a very old undergraduate physics degree, so that was, that was going way back. I didn't do well in advanced quantum mechanics, I will, point it off, I will have to admit that. Um, but I, I know some little bits in here and there, you know. Um, so for things like HPC, I mean, typically you've got a number of different types of problems, like some which will be optimized for, as you say, like CPU, or some that are going to be massively parallelizable that you can run on, on big arrays of, of graphics cards. Um, how, how do they sort of then translate into the world of, of quantum computing? How, how would you, I mean, uh, is quantum computing suited to one type of, yeah, so of you, calculation or another? Does you can't just take your problem on a classical computer no. and put it on a quantum computer. Mm. That's very difficult. Mm. It's not all problems that are suitable mm. for a quantum computer. So you have to create some software that is that does it in a quantum mechanical way. And that's not easy. Mm. That, that's why you need companies like us mm. to help you do that. Mm. Mm. Um, but again, it's not all problems that are inherently useful for a quantum computer. Mm. Um, so that's why we mentioned quantum chemistry, mm. which is the thing that most people think will be the first application yeah. of quantum computers. And there's, I mean, I've, seen, I've read a lot recently about, for example, mm, you know, machine learning being able, like DeepFold, if you come across mm -hmm. DeepFold, and then like machine learning has solved protein folding, apparently now, mm. this is a pretty exciting thing. Yeah. Is it those sorts of problems that you're looking to, to address? Uh, not, not usually, because uh, machine learning problems usually have a lot of inputs of data. Mm. And quantum computers are not very good at handling data because data is usually classical. That is something we know from the classical world. And that's not quantum mechanical. So therefore we need something that is quantum mechanical and not just a lot of data. And molecules are quantum mechanicals. So therefore it is not data-driven problems are not suitable for quantum computers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you need something which is more, it's, it's suited in a different way that you need uh, this molecule a structure that you can plug in to the quantum computer. Yeah. I remember looking. I remember looking at um, at Q Sharp. 
a little mm-hmm. while ago, back in 2018, because uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. And when I sort of, with my classically trained programmer's brain, went, oh, okay, that's kind of it. So how does, how does the programming paradigm change between what I would consider, you know, kind of classical programming um, for even for HPC or whatever, versus what you're having to do with with quantum computers, is there a complete shift of mind? Uh, you've been programming more uh, on the quantum computer, but there are some really radical differences. Mm. For example, all calculations has to be reversible, which means that if you do something, you should be able to undo it. Hmm. So you cannot just multiply two numbers because if one of them is zero, you lose information. So. There's a lot of constraints. You cannot copy information. You're used to be able to make a dot clone or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You cannot do that on a quantum computer. It's physically impossible to mm. do. So there's a lot of practical... I mean, it's just a completely different way of... Yeah. And thinking. right now, quantum computers are very small. So mm. you have like 50 bits mm. or quantum bits. Yeah. And that means that you're doing a basic operation like a not operation. So that's what I'm coding is basic operations at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, so when you say basic, you mean, you don't mean like, as in basic, not the language, you mean no, no, the basic, yeah. like, like almost assembler, essentially yeah, writing yeah. It, it, it's in, e- in logic. It's even more low level than yeah. assemblers, right? Because you're addressing individual physical bits mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, with individual logic operations. Mm. You don't have virtual memory, you yeah. don't have a stack. Yeah. There's almost nothing, no abstraction. Yeah. Wow. But yeah. all of that is probably, hopefully something that will come in the coming five to 10 years. But right now, it's very basic. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But that's also because we don't know what the good abstractions are going to be yeah. yet. Right. So could you foresee a time when, you know, um, myself with a sort of, you know, kind of sort of a tinkerer's interest in this kind of thing, will be able to maybe write a classical program and it would be like transpiled into code that can run on the quantum computer, like that kind of thing? Or is, it, is that way off in the future? We, we, we don't even know if that's possible to do yet, kind of thing. You know? I, I think at some point, yeah. But right now, you have to have a problem that's very suited for right. a quantum yeah, computer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And that is probably the way it's going to be in the next couple of years. So unless you're doing chemistry or, or something else which is very suited for a quantum computer, you're probably not going to write something that will be transpiled to a quantum computer. Mm. And, and even if you took the path of having a more classical like programming language that you could transpile to mm. the quantum computer, you would need some different language paradigms in order for it to make sense on a quantum computer as well. Okay, so like into the nuts and bolts, how do these things actually work, right? So you've got 50 qubits, mm-hmm. you, you're writing logic operations that are addressing each individual bit, What and then you turn the thing on, right? I mean, how does it actually work? What happens? I'm, yeah. I'm intrigued by this. So, I've never so seen one, it's super exciting. At the moment, there aren't really any uh, best form of platform for quantum computers, but there are a few mm. different ways. Uh, one of them is called superconducting circuits, mm-hmm. which is basically a normal computer chip that you supercool, mm. then it has some inductors and some capacitances, and a type of nonlinear inductor called a Josephson junction. And this Josephson junction is basically a superconducting wire with a hole in the middle, and then you would think, all right, now electrons can't pass through this hole. Okay, yeah. But a quantum mechanical effect is tunneling. So sometimes they can. Yeah, so in, in the quantum mechanical regime, they can tunnel through. Yeah. And then depending on where the electron is, that's the state of the qubit. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, and so you, and you don't actually know until you observe it whether the, the electron is one side or the other. And that's exactly. The, that's the different. That's more or less the, the idea. Yeah. That's super cool. Is that the sort of thing you've been working with? That is one of the computers that we're accessing. We're also using someone called uh, trapped ions. Oh, is this out of Duke? 
And so there's some friends of mine who actually were working on this. Is in the US, is it? Or yeah, there is the ion cube yeah, in the yeah, US. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So they they're trapping uh, charged ions mm. in magnetic fields, mm. and then these ions are because they're uh, atoms, they're quantum mechanical, mm. and they are built in qubit because it's a two-level system, and then they can manipulate these ions mm. uh, and work them as uh, quantum mechanical bits. Mm. Mm. Um, and, and, and you've then got the potential controversy around what Google are calling quantum computers? Yeah, Google, they're using superconducting circuits. Right, they are as well. Yeah, yeah. so that, are there are a lot of different uh, platforms. Those were just two. There are at least five more that on the top of my mind. Right. Uh, I think those two are the most uh, common ones. Those are the ones that you can access on, on cloud uh, hardware providers such as AWS or, or Azure. And just, we've got these multiple different types of, um, of, of quantum computing system, I guess. And then uh, I hear a lot about, I read a lot about, or at least I see a lot of on phys.org, um, uh, you know, lots of questions about things like error rates and error correction and how, hey, we've got this amazing ability to do this calculation, but it, the state only is only coherent for like, you know, like a fraction of a millisecond. So. Yeah. And is it, uh, what challenges, I guess, are you facing at the moment with these... With these systems. Yeah, so, so right now they're very fragile. They're, they're cohering or decohering very fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can do a number of gates or operations mm-hmm. on each qubits, and then they just start doing random stuff that you don't want them to do. So therefore you need error correction, mm-hmm. sort of like you have in a, in a normal computer. We just don't notice it anymore because mm-hmm. it's so good. Yeah. But we need that at some point, mm-hmm. and then we'll make perfect qubits that doesn't do random stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is also a couple of years down the line. It should be mentioned that error correction is a more complicated subject on a quantum computer because if you were to measure uh, or read out the result of the computer in order to see whether or not a bit has been flipped, you destroy the state. So you need to be able to measure in kind of an aggregate way over several bits in order to see if a parity is obtained or some other uh, feature of the sequence of bits and then you can do uh, some operation based on the result of that measurement. So that's also more complicated on a quantum computer. Everything is more complicated. <laughs> <laughs> well, which, I mean, everything is more complicated, I would say. Um, it certainly sounds it. I mean, what, what's the... Why? I mean, what, you know, it's really... This is, a, it's super difficult mm-hmm. science. Superconducting. Hey, we're, we're just going to super chill stuff down to like minus 250, like C or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's, that's not easy to do. So the hardware is like super expensive. Um, it's a difficult way. It's a difficult way to program. You have to learn a whole new approach to doing things. What's what, what's the benefit you, you think we're going to be able to? And be you know hyperbolic here, right? I mean, this is yeah. this is the time to be hyperbolic. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So hopefully, it's going to open up uh, possibilities to calculate, for example, new molecules mm. that we cannot calculate on normal computers mm. because they become too complex. So as I think Feynman said it when he proposed using quantum computers, that if you want to simulate something quantum mechanical, you better make a quantum mechanical simulator. <laughs> and that is basically the idea of a quantum computer. Yeah, also because they're likely going to be slower than normal computers for a long time. Mm. Uh, even they may, we have, uh, there's this famous case of factoring, where we, in principle you should be able to factor enormously large numbers much faster than a quantum yes. computer. Yeah. That's of course a very interesting from a maybe theoretical point of view if you're cracking codes, mm-hmm. but also from a like a more um, 
Uh, I mean, if you want to build new stuff, then being able to calculate on more different types of materials more accurately doesn't necessarily have to be faster, but it can be more accurate, for example. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely a potential there. Yeah, because I mean, I've read a lot about quantum safe encryption or you know, future, not perfect forward security is no such thing, right? Certainly when quantum computers get good enough at factoring, or fast enough, I guess, as you say. Mm-hmm. Um, and is this going to be another real area you th- where, where we're going to have, we're going to see lots of changes, you think, in the future? in terms of security, privacy, encryption, these kinds of things? I think quantum computers are probably at some point going to break the RSA encryption because they can factorize large uh, prime numbers. Mm. But luckily, quantum computers has also have a built-in way of encryption. Mm. Uh, so it will just be that our encryption will have to change, mm. but it has to do that all the time. Encryption is not something static. Yeah, sure. So at some point, quantum will just play a bigger role in, in encryption. Mm. And it should be mentioned that even though RSA is vulnerable, vulnerable to quantum attacks, there are lots of other systems that are more resilient towards yes, them. So exactly. there are classical ways around it. Uh, sort of, I mean, it's going to be important at some point, but it's not going to break the world. Uh, anyway. There's one that's on the tip of my tongue, but I can't remember it now. It's, it'll come to me in a minute. Um, Cool. That's, uh, that's 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 super interesting. So, so in terms of um, so we've got we've got a range of problems that we that can't classically be addressed by normal normal classical like uh, systems. Um, we've got the hardware there to do it. It's obviously hugely expensive, hugely complicated, and only about four places in the world can afford to do it. Right, but hey, you can access it over AWS. Self service, yeah. fantastic. Um, so. Um, and we talk about things like chemistry and risk. You know, uh, so I guess the whole stuff in, in finance around pricing models. There's a lot of a lot of quants already in mm-hmm. in banks who are already using these uh, kind of you know kind of the similar sort of quantum equations to to, to model risk and things internally. Um, what about things like slightly chunked up a bit? So because I mean biology is a classic example of modeling actual biological systems. So one right. level above the chemical. Um, and that's super, super difficult, right? I mean, we don't exactly. have to be able to do that by observation almost. Is that another thing that is... That is hopefully yes. some of the, the things that the quantum computer will be able to do, which the classical computer cannot do at the moment. Mm. Mm. Yeah, especially because, especially in pharmacological applications, mm. sometimes you have a very small active site on an enzyme or a protein, mm. um, where if you could increase the accuracy of that calculation, you would be able to much more accurately predict, for example, which, which kind of... Uh, Molecules could have some desired effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so their quantum computer is envisioned to be useful mm-hmm. at some point. And are you seeing interest now in from the big farm, from big pharma, from these organisations into into the, the approaches that you're sort of championing? Yes. Yeah, we're talking to several uh, big companies, and also the EU mm-hmm. are, are backing us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just to. Nice smile, but like, yeah, and the yeah. EU, just, just saying that, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> super cool, that's super cool. Um, so I guess I guess there's, there's a whole sort of ecosystem around this stuff as well, right, in terms of um, making the hardware things like cheaper. There's been a lot of research I've seen recently into breakthroughs into um, not room temperature superconduction, but but bring, being able to bring the, the temperature, or well, new materials that, that are superconducting at higher temperatures. Is that sort of stuff all feeding in? Is that, Do you think there's going to be this sort of blossoming, like a sort of compound effect where you get lots of things coming together and suddenly we're going to see this quantum computing? Well, yeah, it's, it's a lot of, there's a lot of small steps that needs to be taken and room uh, superconducting, room temperature superconducting circuits would be very nice. There would be a huge step underway. 
but currently the biggest challenge is, is is simply to make the qubits uh, more stable uh, against noise. Mm. Okay, and so how, how many qubits are we, are we talking about? Is it hundreds? Around, uh, around, I think the, the record right now is around 400. Right. Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. But they are not all connected, right? No, they're not so all connected. So you cannot do arbitrary things with them. Mm -hmm. No, so. that, that's another problem. That when you're doing <coughs> qubits, you have to lay them out in a grid mm -hmm. and they have to be close to each other before they can talk to each other. Um, mm -hmm. so, so that's a, that's a difficulty of making everyone talk to each other. So it means it limits the number of which bits can you do which instructions on basically. Right, right. I see. Yes, okay. All right. Oh I God. can't just swap two bits if they're far away yeah. from each other. Yeah. Oh. Right. So what you need it's one of these it's like an Uberus type thing where what you need is actually a quantum computer to help design a quantum computer, right? That would be very like nice. a 3D kind of grid <laughs> yeah, of yeah. qubits or some yeah. kind of strange geometry that's going to allow you to kind of more easily program them. Yeah. <laughs> But there's no reason to think that's not going to be an ingredient in the future. Why not use the tool that you're developing to improve the tool? But it's unclear, right? So, so what are you most excited about? I think I'm most excited about the fact that I'm actually working with quantum computers. <laughs> I mean, that's a childhood dream of mine. I saw it in science fiction movies and I was like, that sounds really, really cool. And now I'm doing it. And is it really, really cool? It is really, really cool. <laughs> <laughs> How about yourself, sorry. Well, I mean, I also did a PhD within related areas, not quantum mm -hmm. computer specifically, but uh, since then I've been doing um, normal computer uh, software engineering. Uh, but it's it's uh, extremely nice to get back to uh, an environment that's uh, very research oriented and um, doing stuff with quantum mechanics that I, I know from my studies. And also, I really enjoy delivering high quality, robust software for customers mm. that just works mm. uh, the mm. way they expect it to. So I think if bringing that, taking the prototypes that people do in quantum computing away from, or bringing them out of academia and into industry so that they're actually usable in, in a very friendly way, that really triggers me. I think that's super interesting. And then at the same time, being allowed to use uh, thousands of computers at the same time to do a calculation. It's always fun. It's always fun, yeah, yes. yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's actually a really interesting point. I mean, that really occurred to me. How do you test this stuff, for example? Because we talk about industrialization and engineering. That is There's a really good question. Right. Yes, because I, I've been thinking a lot about it because I care a lot about tests because I want to deliver robust software. Yeah. Um, and it, it's not clear at all because it's, as as we can attest to, running stuff on a quantum computer right now is super expensive. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to put your quantum algorithm into a continuous uh, integration test mm. uh, <laughs> because that would just ruin you. Yeah. Um, and you cannot run the test on uh, an input that makes sense. Mm. As soon as you go over 40 qubits, you basically do not have enough memory. Maybe you can do 50. I don't mm. know what the limit is, but mm. then you run out of memory on planet Earth mm. uh, in order to simulate it. So. Um, Maybe some kind of formal verification system could make sense, mm. or, or maybe we just have to do extremely careful code review mm. to begin with. I don't know, but uh, it's unclear what the good solutions are. I don't know if there are any good solutions right now. That's really interesting. I see anyone out there interested in testing quantum computing? There's, a, there's, there's obviously some some kind of um, uh, some opportunities. Yeah, I mean, actually, at ThoughtWorks, we've we've built an entire company more or less on on the, the idea of like um, industrializing, uh, mm. making making sort of new paradigms uh, more robust and stable and kind of, mm -hmm. uh, so for example, like machine learning, that was a classic kind of wild west, kind of full mm. of, um, I won't say cowboys, that's way too strong, but you know, lot, lots of data scientists who are applying really interesting 
um, statistical models and writing really interesting algorithms and so on, um, build, building interesting models, but without some of the um, the sort of the techniques you would expect yeah. from modern software engineering, things like continuous integration or delivery or even versioning or you know you've yeah. been able to read you know, re reuse the same mo like model twice in your etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah. but there's been lots of advances in that recently things like you know continuous delivery from machine learning and feature stores and all these kind of cool things yeah. um, so I guess there's there's lots of opportunities and will be yeah. and I think it's also an interesting question just for high performance computing mm -hmm. because a lot of the existing tools out there are either tools with a very isolated domain where you kind of can test that domain. But if you're doing a larger calculation over a huge chemical system where mm. nobody knows what the answer is, how do you test that? Mm. Because uh, just running a single calculation might take a month mm. or weeks. Mm. And you need to, of course, to, to have any degree of confidence, you need to test things in isolation. Mm. But the next step depends extremely sensitively on the step before. So there's also a lot of difficulties in delivering robust software for that mm. kind of setup as well. So I guess in things like meteorological kind of research, those sorts of things, where you're looking at cell-based kind of Monte Carlo-like algorithms. Those For example, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So th that's also difficult to test, I find. You mentioned Feynman, of course, Monte Carlo <laughs> was yeah. adjacent to him, right? In, mm -hmm. That was von Neumann in, uh, in, in, in Los Alamos. You came up with that with Stanislaw Ulam. Um, uh, so what was I going to say? So yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by this idea now of sort of the industrialization kind of process. Um, and, and testing um, and the idea of a formal, a formal, formal methods. But I guess to I me, mean, the downside generally with formal methods is they take a long, long time yes. themselves, right? So, yeah. is, is, is that? But is it something that maybe is going to be worth it actually investing that sort of thing? It, it's a good question. I mean, we have we have some people working roughly in that area, but it, it's not really clear if it makes sense because mm. it. I mean, if, if the quantum program is complicated enough, you, of course, cannot verify it formally. Uh, so, so there's definitely limits to what you can do. Mm. But if you can verify some of it, maybe, I mean, you just need to do what can be done yeah. instead of doing what's perfect. Mm. So, mm. Oh, Super interesting, yeah. Um, and so, so, so uh, in terms of high-performance computing, these are the sort of problems that you're working on already in the sort of chemistry spaces, these sorts of spaces, or is it... Yeah, so right now, chemistry, uh, pharma, and uh, financials, yeah. financial applications. So Monte Carlo and optimization and uh, yeah, hard, hardcore chemical uh, calculation stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, super cool. Um, well, I think um, probably that's 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 a good point to, to come to an end of this conversation. So mm -hmm. thank you so much, Stian and Soren. I'm murdered your names again, and I'm terribly sorry about that. <laughs> um, but th thanks very much for joining us for this episode of GoTo Unscripted. I've been James Lewis, and uh, see you another time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the GoTo Podcast. Head over to gotopia.tech to discover lots more content from the brightest minds in software development. Mm -hmm.